Keys. Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. What you do in your father's garage? Tune-ups, oil changes, brake relining, engine rebuilds, rebuild some trannies, rear ends. Okay, okay. But does being an ex-mechanic necessarily qualify you as being an expert on tire marks? No. Thank you. Goodbye. Sit down and stay there until you're told to leave. Your Honor, Ms. Vito's expertise is in general automotive knowledge. It is in this area that her testimony will be applicable. Now, if Mr. Trotter wishes to voir dire a witness as to the extent of her expertise in this area, I'm sure he's going to be more than satisfied. Okay. All right. All right. Now, uh, Ms. Vito, being an expert on general automotive knowledge, can you tell me what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a full barrel carburetor? It's a bullshit question. Does that mean that you can't answer it? It's a bullshit question. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. Your Honor, I move to disqualify Ms. Vito as an expert witness. Can you answer the question? No. It is a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. Well, oh, she's acceptable, Your Honor. The defense is wrong. Are you sure? I'm positive. How could you be so sure? Because there is no way that these tire marks were made by a 64 Buick Skylark. These marks were made by a 1963 Pontiac Tempest. Objection, Your Honor. Can we clarify to the court whether the witness is stating opinion or fact? This is your opinion? It's a fact. I find it hard to believe that this kind of information could be ascertained simply by looking at a picture. Would you like me to explain? I would love to hear this. So would I. The car that made these two equal length tire marks had positive traction. Can't make those marks without positive traction, which was not available on the 64 Buick Skylark. And why not? What is positive traction? It's a limited slip differential which distributes power equally to both the right and left tires. The 64 Skylark had a regular differential, which anyone who's been stuck in the mud in Alabama knows. You step on the gas, one tire spins, the other tire does nothing. That's right. Is that it? No, there's more. You see, when the left tire mark goes up on the curb and the right tire mark stays flat and even, mm -hmm. well, the 64 Skylark had a solid rear axle. So when the left tire would go up on the curb, the right tire would tilt out and ride along its edge. But that didn't happen here. The tire mark stayed flat and even. This car had an independent rear suspension. Now, in the 60s, there were only two other cars made in America that had positive traction and independent rear suspension and enough power to make these marks. One was the Corvette, which could never be confused with the Buick Skylark. The other had the same body length, height, width, weight, wheelbase, and wheel track as the 64 Skylark, and that was the 1963 Pontiac Tempest. 
And because both cars were made by GM, were both cars available in metallic mint green paint? They were. Thank you, Ms. Vito. No more questions. here from BRE Racing and Aerovault Trailers. Listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the best automobile show in the Southeast. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome. You're tuning in to Nostalgia Kingdom and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers at Google Tantalk 1340.com, and you can see me, moi, here me, live in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, go to NostalgicRadioAndCars.com to listen to 667, 68, 69, somewhere around in there, shows. Anyway, we got a great show for you tonight. we got a very, very special guest. Um, keep in mind, next week is Monterey Collector Car Week. And uh, so that is the, I'm going to say probably the biggest automotive event um, in the United States. And it kind of is on a world stage. So everybody from all over the planet descend on uh Monterey County, Carmel, um, Seaside, Pacific Grove, um, all the little communities around there, Carmel Valley, pretty cool. And uh, cars that you uh, only dream about will be driving around on the streets. So, excuse me, (coughs) having said that, our guest is going to be uh, out there uh, along with uh, a whole bunch of us, and uh, so we're all looking forward to that. Um, let me give you a rundown of some of the events that are going to take place. So basically Monday is a big Porsche um, gathering at the Porsche of Monterey, and um, I'm going to say there's probably somewhere around three, 350, three, 350 cars that show up there, all kinds, air cools, late model 911s, GT3 RSs. Turbos, 356s, all kinds of stuff, including a Volkswagen or two and a bus. And uh, and something like, I don't know, close to 3,000 people wander back and forth. Now, this even though this is only a four-hour event, it just takes place all day. Because, again, you know, Porsche is probably, uh, I'm going to say, has the largest network of car club members on a worldwide basis. I think more so than any other club that I know, more so than Corvette, more so than Mustang. And uh, in terms of prestige, obviously Ferrari, because they've done very, very well. They've upped their production to close to 100,000 cars a year. I think that's what Ferraris are doing now. And uh, (coughs) (coughs) Porsches has doubled that. Except for 911s, I mean, they don't still don't make a, um, a bazillion of them, but, you know, Porsche has uh, a wider brand. Now, Ferrari's actually coming out with um, kind of leading a sedan, but they have an SUV that they're working on. Lamborghini has an SUV out there. Uh, Maserati has an SUV out there. Bentley has an SUV. Rolls-Royce has an SUV. SUV. And uh, so, you know, obviously, if the guy's got a sports car, they're going to need a family car, and that's kind of how that works. So, um, so Tuesday, uh, our good friends over there at Classic Motorsport, which is based out of Daytona, okay, they've got their big um, car show gathering uh, on the streets or blocked off in Pacific Grove, which is another little you know close close community right there in in the Monterey area. <coughs> Excuse me. And then uh, Wednesday the, is um, a number. There's the little car show in downtown Monterey, and the streets blocked off for that as well. And the little car show is exactly what it is: little cars. So you know, little Fiats, um, uh, MGBs actually qualify, and of course there's an occasional Ferrari or two. But you know, little Volkswagens, uh, Auto Bianchi's, uh, Isettas. Um, little oddball little cars, Crosleys, um, a, a, the the Dutch car called the Daf is there. The Russian, car, the Czechoslovakian car called a Skoda will be there. Um, a Tatra, which is a Russian car, will be there. The English guys got plenty of little cars, Minis and Rowans and, and of course, you know, MGBs and Triumphs and stuff like that. They're all called small cars. So basically small, small bore, you know, two, three, and four cylinder cars. <coughs> Dang, it's cold. 
this cough. Anyway, so, um, and then, of course, Thursday is uh, a couple things go on. Is the uh, Legends of the Autobahn, which is an all-German deal. So it's Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and so on. Over at Spanish Bay uh, Country Club, there's a number of seminars going on there. In fact, our guest this evening is going to be one of the speakers there, along with guys like... Uh, um, Jeff Hacker, who's a, a been a regular on our show before, and who does um, some very classic, cool classic cars and forgotten fiberglass and um, un, un, undiscovered classics, and um, and then Saturday, uh, Thursday is the uh, um, is the Quail, excuse me, yeah, the Quail um, event, and then also the Porsche Works Reunion, which is where I will be working that week, all day, or that day, all day at the Porsche Works Reunion with our good friends over there, Fastlane Travel. So uh, if you're in Monterey and you're at the Forest Works Reunion, stop by at the uh, Fastlane Travel booth. And uh, if if you sign up for a 2024 tour at Fastlane Travel, you'll get a $500 per person discount. And that is compliments of the Treffenmeister, Peter Sontag, a.k.a. the Spaßmacher, which in German translates to the fun maker. You will get a $500 per person trip or discount. Now, the Fastlane Travel, by the way, does trips to Tuscany, does trips to uh, Switzerland, does trips to uh, across the Stelvio Pass, uh, Grossglockner. But their big thing is is that they do actual driving tours to the Porsche factory. So you get to go to the Porsche factory, you get to rent a car, you get to drive in the Autobahn, you get to go as fast as 250 kilometers plus, depending on how brave you are and then you get to do some backwoods driving i'm not gonna say backwoods but basically some country driving through the black forest so that's a lot of fun so if you've never been over there it's kind of a really neat way to kind of experience germany on 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 the fly so to speak and uh, and then see the porsche factory as well as we may go to München to the or munich to the bmw factory but and also in, in stuttgart in um asphaltabach i think or I forget what the name of this town is exactly. But um, Singlefingen is the Mercedes-Benz factory, Mercedes-Benz Museum. But nonetheless, okay, so that's uh, what goes on now. The, um, Saturday is the Concorso. We had Tom McDowell on last week, so that's the all-Italian car gathering. And, of course, Sunday is the Pebble Beach Concourse, which is the creme de la creme of events around the world. And it is probably some of the finest cars, the most interesting people, and it's an all-day event, and it's it's priceless. It's definitely something you have to put on your bucket list. Now, the auctions that will be out there, our good friends at RM will be there. Meekum will be there. Those are our other buddies. Um, Bonhams will be over at the Bonhams auction, and uh, and then Goody. And then Broad Arrow, our friends at Broad Arrow. So <coughs> it's, I am told that there's roughly um, – now, the ones I mentioned are the major events, but there's roughly 200 different little events. Oh, yeah, then there's the – um, ladies of the Prancing Horses. Now, we're going to get one of them on the show. And this is a ladies group, car club, of all Ferrari owners. So they're into the act. And uh, so it's just, you know, automobiles, it's kind of like music. It appeals to everybody. It's kind of neutral. It just kind of gets you going there a little bit. But anyway, so that's the the rundown on Monterey next week. And uh, so without further ado, I think what um, my trusty production engineer is going to do he's going to fire up the stereo we're on a kind of like a 60s kick tonight so we're going to play a little and it is the summer right it is but and you say being on a 60s kick like it's a bad thing no it's a good thing exactly it's a good thing i mean that's my era you know <coughs> well i was a kid but, but then again i say this all the time when it comes to music music has no timeline that's true it doesn't there's so, no barrier no. exactly there's no expiration date good music is good music doesn't matter mm-hmm. when it comes from that's exactly right so on that note why don't you drop the needle in the groove as they say all right here and, we go and let's play a little beach blanket bingo which was actually the theme song of a movie that came out back in the 60s mid 65 mid 65 65 hey you're tuning into nostalgic radio and cars don't touch that dial we'll be right back with our special guest Take a blanket made for two now And a boy and a girl That's a game for me and you now Yeah, let's give it a whirl Beach blanket, bingo Beach blanket, bingo Beach blanket, bingo That's the name of the game Every lad and every lassie Looking smart and looking classy. Yeah, they're learning the score. 
Happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past. And here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America. With the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. this timeless land, one of these many worlds will open to you. Frontierland. Tall tales and true from the legendary past. Tomorrowland. Promise of things to come. Adventureland. The wonder world of nature's own realm. Fantasyland. The happiest kingdom of them all. Hello, this is the annoying Jay Leno, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, okay, we're back. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is uh, legendary in the world of design. He did a little, uh, a little work with Ford, a little bit of work with General Motors, but uh, he's probably best known as the uh, designer and uh, creator of some of the most amazing rides that took place and probably still exists on a different generational level at Disney World. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Bob Gurr. Bob, how are you? Oh, just so good here. I listened to your music a few minutes ago, and I'm looking at the Doors cover. Oh, man, <laughs> I, was, I went to a Doors concert in 67, and... Uh, He's the only guy I ever saw terrorize the police because he would swing a microphone with a cord on it over his head like a bolo and slowly let it out over the audience. Really? Well, now, where did you see Jim Morrison at? Was it at the Whiskey at Go-Go, or was it at an actual oh, no, concert? No, no the uh, Anaheim Convention Center, a great big venue. Wow. Yeah. So no. anyway, your show, your show started off really good with... Um, Reminded me of the, uh, the Doors, and, uh, oh, yeah, Nash Calvinator. You know the funniest thing that ever happened to Disneyland when we were building it? Walt was driving a pink Nash Rambler wagon. Really? Yeah. He had to get around the uh, the construction all the time, and uh, they gave him this pink, uh, pink Rambler uh, with a little woody sides on it. 
Yeah. And was he wasn't the least bit embarrassed. No. Well, actually, I, I, truth be known, it's confidentially between you and me. I won't tell anybody, but I actually like pink. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one, of my, uh, one of my favorite well, colors. <laughs> well, this pig, a pig, you had a pink picture just made a billion bucks. Well, What's yeah. wrong with pink? <laughs> Nothing's wrong with pink. pink pink's actually, uh, in, the, in the psychology world, they actually use pink as a soothing color to kind of calm people down. Of course, you know, when you're a baby, you know, it kind of relaxes you. So there's some truth to that. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, Bob, let's go back to uh, since we have Monterey Collector Car Week next week, and we have Pebble Beach, and we have um, Laguna Seca, the races. Your one of your claim to fames, there's many, of course, is that you were at the very first Pebble Beach concourse. That's correct. I had a 40 Pontiac that was kind of run out, and I had three art center design students with me. We're all you know going to be car designers. We snuck into the 17-mile drive without paying. We found sand dunes with a gully deep enough the cops couldn't catch us. So we slept <laughs> on the 17-mile drive all night waiting for the concourse to get ready. And naturally, we drive over to the Del Monte Lodge, and the cars are coming around uh, to get on the grass, and there's some food. While well, we walk in and help ourselves to a free breakfast. That's how this place was run. Nobody charged anybody for anything. Wow. So tell us about some of the cars that were there back then. I don't really remember some of the specific cars, but, uh, you know, any time there's Ferraris, especially, uh, you know, the little 212s, and they're going to start them up, I hang around those. So I couldn't really tell you unless I went back and looked at pictures of the time. Okay. How about the races, the Pebble Beaver races? Um, I, did it, it had a different name back then, though, didn't it? Uh. Yeah, actually, uh, Saturday was a race day, right. and uh, for gosh sakes, they raced the cars up and down the hilly uh, uh, residential area with no guardrails, but a lot of trees to crash into. <laughs> yeah. uh, this, this was such insane, you know, a couple of years later, it seemed insane, but at the time, it was natural. If you can visualize, uh, like, a Bill Pollock and a, and a white-walled tire Ted Allard, which is a foul handling car. <laughs> He's trying to keep it out of the trees. <laughs> wow. So what are some of your fond memories um, going back to, like, the early days of Pebble? The, right after World War II, the, everything was going to be upbeat. The future was coming. My gosh, uh, Alex Tremelis had a Tucker that looked like the future. Studebaker Starlight Coupe was a radical-looking thing in the back. And so everything is upbeat, and now we were going to have, oh, cars with slab sides, not fenders. Oh, we were going to have sports cars. Oh, Jaguars and MGs would, would come from England here. So everything was exciting, and then one day uh, a little Ferrari showed up at a local shop run by Ernie McAfee, who was a, was a driver. And all us art center students would hang around uh, Ernie McAfee's shop because, you know, we all knew everybody. Everybody loved uh, being around with Phil Hill, listening to what he had to say. <coughs> so everything was always up. So every new foreign car that showed up, we had, to, we had to go to International Motors and go take a look at it. We'd hang around in the garages, you know, and nobody throw you out of a garage if you're snooping and want to know something about some new foreign car. Foreign car. <laughs> well, it's like I remember having when I had Killer Shelby on the show. He was talking about that um, Italian quasi Italian Corvette. He said, "Yeah, that scaggly Eddie, you know." And uh, and in his Texas draw, I thought that was kind of cool, you know. Just like we all go, "Yeah, one of them there foreign car, foreign cars there," you know. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. Well, I remember Scagliata. I made a visit there in 1955. And it should be pronounced that way because they had a dirt floor. They had big tree trunks hollowed out and kids drinking wine with wooden mounts, pounding aluminum in pieces. And then you'd put them on a wire cage and then the good guys would kind of burnish it, weld it all together and polish it out. And you had a Ferrari with a Scagliati body. Uh-huh. That's the trick. Okay. So now you, uh, when it's what what time time frame did you, because I know you were kind of involved in, in, in the racing. So like from uh, 
from a uh, like a pit marshal or a, or a, 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 an official within, I guess, the Sports Car Club of America. Was it SCCA back then, or was this before SCCA? Well, we had two clubs in Southern California. We had the California Sports Car Club, and we had SCCA, which was a you know a bit higher, more Eastern related club. Okay. So uh, we're our center students. And we and you have to get the cars scrutineered the day before the race, so they have to have numbers on the cars. Well, guess what? We find out if we're art center students, so we're artists. We can paint really good looking numbers with with white, you know, white paint on the sides of the cars. And then they say, "Say, you boys, why don't you come out and help us with the races? We'll give you a, a free box lunches." So this was our rhythm starting in 1950. Uh, to warm our way into, first off, scrutinizing the cars. You know, usually it's done in a big shop in Hollywood. Then we go to the races, and then everybody uh, gets an assignment, like sometimes you're a flagman, and they say, well, Bob, you're, uh, uh, you did a bunch of numbers. Why don't you get the free box lunch and you be a turn marshal? Oh, what does the turn marshal do? Well, take charge of everything if there's a big crash. That's all you got to do. <laughs> So it took a couple of years for these systems to work their way out into being very, very professional and very safe. But uh, that, that's how we got started. Did you ever, I know, I know you mentioned Riverside, because obviously that was probably one of the most famous track, road race tracks in Southern Cal. What, where was Torrey Pines? Was Torrey Pines in the woods, kind of like, or was that on an airfield? Uh, no, no. Torrey Pines uh, in those days was a, uh, <clears throat> a cliff area just north of San Diego, a very beautiful area. Okay. And uh, kind of like rolling a plateau a bluff above a cliff. And it had a series of roads, which I think were part of military installation okay. uh, during World War II. But it had all been cleared out. And somehow it appeared to be a very safe track, even though it was asphalt. Instead of having curbs or having a good edge to the pavement, it had these sort of swales that, you know, you go down for the rainwater to go off and then it's. it's it slopes up a little bit into the brush. Now, this is the kind of track that if you get yourself crossed up uh, and you dip your car into a swale, that car is going to flip so fast. Ooh. So it was a very dangerous track where you only had hay bales on the worst tracks. And, uh, in fact, on turn one, there was a lady, I was a turn marshal there, and she had the very first um, car built by a guy by the name of Morgan, I think, and it was the very first old yeller have a fast, lightweight chassis had a, a Buick V8 in it, and she flipped, and, uh, you know, she died right at my feet. Mm. And uh, so this, this track was very dangerous. Uh, another friend of mine got uh, killed. He got hit by a motorcycle there. So, yeah, you ask about Torrey Pines. That Torrey Pines is probably uh, has, doesn't have a good history, but it was a, but it was a track that was open and uh, available. Okay. So the racing, well, you you mentioned Old Yeller. So is that Max Belchowski? Is that who that was way back in the day? It was kind of building some of those cars, or uh, no? Max bought the car after oh. uh, the lady died in the car. Oh, and uh, yeah. Well, it was a strictly a hot rod chassis. It was a rigid uh, rear axle, but the car was light, and it uh, for that kind of car, it was very fast and handled. It had a Plymouth six in it for a while, then a, then a Buick V eight. And then uh, the car was not hardly ruined, uh, you know, with the wreck. It just scraped the top off the car. Uh, so Max bought it and then started improving it. And then, of course, you know, Max wound up with like three or four of the cars. Incredibly fast car. And it got this uh, name, I think, from Disney called Old Yeller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you know Max? Uh, I talked to him uh, probably maybe uh, 20 years ago because uh, he knew I had photos of the accident. Oh. And, uh, and yeah, and he said, uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd uh, send me what you got because uh, I had a, had a black and white picture of, uh, of of the scene. I didn't show anything bad. It was just the scene because right. he was kind of interested in it. So, uh, yeah, he sent me a couple of pictures, though, you know, one of, one of his later old yellows, but it was... He, he seemed like always a nice guy. He just seemed to endure for a very long time. Um, Art Center, 
So how did your interest in, because uh, I remember we were talking a little bit about how you used to go out, you know, as a, as a kid and watch the guys at the dry lakes and obviously the road races and stuff like that. So wh- tell us about how your foray into the Art Center College of Design happened for Okay, you. it was very simple. When I was five years old, I was so enamored <coughs> with cars and airplanes, and that was continuous through all the schools right up through high school. And then the uh, high school architecture teacher said, Say, you're always drawing cars on the architectural drawings. I says, yeah. He says, why don't you go to the art center uh, school? And I went down there, and I was admitted at, at age 17 when you're supposed to be 21. Oh. But the school was, uh, um, see, after World War II, you had um, education for veterans, and uh, they were running out of veterans by that time, so I was the first kid they laid in under 21 because my grandmother had the money (laughs) very funny so i was there for uh oh maybe a year and a half or so and then i qualified for a general motor scholarship and with a general motor scholarship my grandmother didn't have to continue to pay for art center school and then about a month before graduation these car companies all come out and try to pick out what students they want to get you know get you know the best ones they can get and General Motors always comes out about a week before uh, Ford and Chrysler. And sure enough, uh, they, they picked me out, and the arrangements were made. I'm going to go to Detroit, and I meet up with a guy I'm supposed to meet who'd been drinking in the Sheraton Cadillac <laughs> bar for about a day. And it turned out uh, I, I got stolen out from under GM by a Ford guy. It's a, it's a crazy story. So I wound up at the Ford Motor Company, which burnt my bridge to GM and infuriated GM. They paid for my education while so I could work for Ford. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you're 20, you're 20 years old. My bridges are burned out underneath <laughs> me. Anyway. You're, on a, you're on a roll. Day, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. A year and a day in Detroit, I had made up my mind being a Southern California kid. No, Detroit's a dead end because, you know, they give me a day of drawing hubcaps. Another day, I get to do hood ornaments. Oh, my gosh. I got to do some details on the 55 Lincoln, which we're designing in 1952. I get rated again by George Walker, who is a consultant of the Ford Motor Company. He wants me down at his office so he can be one of the competitors for the uh, Lincoln Mark II project uh, that was taking place in early 53 as a 55 model. So, anyway, my foray into Detroit sort of came and went with all this sputtering chaos. And I'm 20 years old. I don't know how the, this business operates. So I came back to Southern California, hung out, went to the beach every day, and I did designs for Kaiser Willys. For the 55 Kaiser Willys, I did over 100 drawings through uh, Miller and Griesinger, a consultant to uh, Kaiser Willys in Detroit. So here's the joke. I draw way more cars and in California through a consultant to Kaiser than I ever did because I only did hubcap in Detroit here I got to draw full cars and I still got blueprints of every one of them oh wow well now let's go back to Walker now so tell us a little bit so it's, it was called George Walker design is, is that what it was or? George, yeah, uh, George W. Walker industrial design they were located in the new center building uh, across the street from the General Motors corporate center oh so you get to wave at them every day the GM guys thank you for my college education <laughs> <laughs> yes this, this was so funny because I did know people at General Motors and uh, so they got over their anger, okay. And then I met a super designer friend of mine, Dave Holes. You know who Dave Holes is? Very famous, uh, the books he's written about American design. In fact, he was at a Cadillac uh, for quite a while. But Dave and I were lifelong friends, but I met him in the GM building. So uh, it was cool working for Walker, doing a Lincoln job across the street from General Motors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Now, where does uh, Tremulus come into this picture and Goering, or, or Burek? Oh, well, anyway, uh, when uh, I was introduced to the designers at the Ford, the first day they uh, officially there, they walked me around to the other studios to introduce, uh, uh, you know, a young new employee to the various uh, studio heads. And uh, the guy that ran uh, Ford had Alex Primus, uh working there. 
And son of a gun, I walked up, and uh, the guy says, oh, this is Alex Tremulous. And I knew his drawings because he was the coolest artist. And I, in a loud, stupid voice, I said, oh, you're Alex Tremulous? And the whole studio laughed because the other guys thought Tremulous was a goof. Uh, two weeks later, I get transferred out of advanced styling to go to the Lincoln studio, and Tremulous got transferred into Lincoln at the same time. Oh, really? So Alex... Alex and I um, were lifelong friends until he retired, moved out to uh, Ventura, California, and uh, eventually uh, passed away. He was uh, my funniest friend. and another friend at the same time was Gordon Burek, who came from a much earlier era. You know, he's designing Duesenbergs, you know, back in the uh, early 30s. And Tremulous was designing cars like the Tucker. Well, now let me ask you this: as as a designer, so when you were at um, at the art center, and obviously Struthers McMinn was there, and he's also extremely well known, and you have a very very good relationship with him, which we, we want to share here in a few minutes. Um, so, what was the uh, while you were at school? What was the focus of design? I mean, was there anything? In other words, we were just coming in it's after the war. We're coming into the rocket age. Did did a lot of that have influence when you were there early in the early fifties at the art center? Yes, I started in nineteen forty nine. You got to remember what I said earlier. Uh, the the upbeat optimism of Americans after World War II was so good. Every week there was some new thing about the future is coming. You know, radars coming and. Rear-engine cars are coming, and of course, being a new student, eight, 17 years old at Art Center, with these older students, this instructor, Strether McMinn, was so strict, I didn't like him one bit. I thought we were going to learn to draw cars, and he says, no, we're going to practice writing script lettering with a Thayer and Chandler airbrush. I'm left-handed. I can't do script worth fiddling. <laughs> So after a week or two of that, uh, I, did, I didn't like the guy. I just casually said, say, do you even like cars? <laughs> we both had a great laugh because then I found out he was passionate from the time he was 12 years old about designing cars. And that meant well, he was a good teacher at the time I'm there. And, you know, and then I go to you know, Detroit and come back. Mac was a dear friend all the way up to uh, 90, uh, I guess, 98 when he passed away. I'd gone over to his house that night. He was uh, had some medical issues with a broken hip and things like that. And I went over to, you know, take some stuff to help him cook instead of... He's going to have to cook in his own house rather than go out to a restaurant all the time. And uh, he did me farewell, and he was dead by morning. So... Um, uh, it was a great friend. Went right to the end. Well, sad. But you said that he, you had such a good relationship with him that somehow you managed to acquire a lot of his uh, really cool stuff, a lot of his historical stuff, his drawings and and things of that, and 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 little scale models and things. Yes, that's correct. Because uh, Mac did a lot of drawings for his own entertainment, the kind where you sit there at night and on your drafting board. The cat's watching you draw, and you hmm. just draw to your heart's content little stuff you like to do. This is the coolest stuff any designer will do. So he had a bunch of it, and uh, the uh, his fan, his, uh, he had only one relative that I know about, and the guy said, well, come down and, and uh, take take all these drawings, and so nobody else is going to want them. And in the drawings was all the drawings that Frank Hershey, who died years earlier, had had. Mac had inherited those, so I wound up with Hershey drawings. When Hershey was uh, drawing uh, cars at, in Pasadena with um, a Murphy company, you know, he designed a Duesenberg coupe that was a glorious-looking simple roof, and he what, it sold for quite a few million dollars after it was the Pebble, you know, some years ago. For, for, uh, so Bob, anyway. for our listeners, tell everybody who Murphy body Murphy was. Murphy was basically a, 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 a chassis or a, a custom body builder, a coach builder, right? So tell, tell us a little bit about Murphy. Okay, well, number one, east of the Mississippi is where all the old money was. This is where all of the custom body companies, you know, Brewster and everybody else, you had Duesenbergs and Packard chassis and Rolls-Royce and such. 
nobody was in the West Coast except rich movie people, the nouveau, nouveau riche movie people. They're, they're flashy people. Mm-hmm. Murphy started a body company catering to these this uh, what we call the movie crowd. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a lot of people uh, didn't have any sense, but they were famous, but they had a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, Murphy would build anything on whatever chassis you'd like to buy. And uh, there were several young designers working for Murphy at the time, and one of them was Frank Hershey, which I think he was 21, something like that, that time. So Murphy actually had sort of a lock on people who were wealthy uh, in Southern California who wanted a custom car and deal with a local car company. So it was a perfect setup for uh, for Murphy. Interesting. Um, let's see. Um, Clark Gable comes to mind. Didn't he have a, a Murphy design uh, Duesenberg? Is that one of the cars oh, you refer? Oh, I- yeah, yeah, I think there was two chassis. I think the, another movie actor had the other one. Uh, this was a short chassis, SSJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little gray car. It was uh, short and fast. <laughs> <laughs> short and fast. I think it was Alan Ladd might have been the other one, maybe, or something like that. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a cowboy. Oh, Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper, that's it, yeah. Uh, because both cars were, you know, some of the Duesenberg were big, slathering town cars, you know, f- flashy cars. Right. Those two guys wanted a pure Duesenberg, just a little roadster. Uh-huh. And, and of course, you know, it's a small, easy body to, to build. I don't know I don't know which guy Murphy, working for Murphy drew them, but uh, I, I did see uh, Clark Gable with um, his... At the very first uh, uh, Palm Springs road race that I went to, thanks oh, no Brother McMinn picked up a couple of a student. He drove us out to Palm Springs to go to the first race. Oh wow! And and when I was out there, I was walking right behind uh, Clark Gable. He was nicely dressed, slacks, nice little little jacket, but he had he had the car uh, nearby, and everybody said, "Oh yeah, that's that little short Duesenberg." Uh, uh, well, it's it's said that Clark Gable was kind of like the Jay Leno of the times. I mean, he had a huge car, private car collection, and and kept a lot of his cars, um, supposedly someplace. Um, were you aware of that? Is that is is there a truth to that? Uh, I don't know because I can't state for sure. Yeah, remember, I'm a growing student, slowly learning every day about everybody with cars. Okay, uh, but. But I, I remember seeing him, walking behind him, I remember seeing the car. But over time, uh, cars that were considered classics, like out of the 30s, you'd see them on the street. In fact, there was a used car lot in Burbank that I still have black and white pictures of, you know, things like, I think, like Belgian Minerva and some other things like that. These cars that were unrestored cars out of the 30s with custom bodies, Nobody wanted them. They got terrible gas mileage in World War II, and you sit on a used car lot. I even I even saw a twenty six Kissel Roadster, red and black, oh. on Vine Street used car lot, and and the, the it only sold for like fifty dollars. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, wait a minute. That was before I... anybody. That was before anybody knew old, old cars were valuable. Well, now wait a minute. Now, okay, so I got to ask you two things real quick. Okay, there was apparently there was a. I'm not sure who built it, but it's is it the Rolls Royce with the round door? Supposedly was found someplace in California, and it was going to go to a junkyard, and somebody saved it. Does that ring a bell? Not not that specific car, but what 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 was happening was some of the custom bodies on you know like on the particularly Duesenbergs weren't all that durable and as as taste changed let's say in 1932 33 a Duesenberg to us today looking back is flawless but to a person uh going from 34 5 6 8 you know up to 1940 that's an old car it's two or three years old you want to update it well they take the body off put a different body at semi-streamlined make a really ugly front fenders because they're more <laughs> modern looking this is what was going on in fact, um, I'm trying to think of the other guy in um, 
in Pasadena, I'm thinking the name in a minute. I, I, I talked to him. He, he built my fire engine seat for my Disneyland fire engine. But he would uh, rebuild a car to an, uh, an actor or an actress's uh, desire to have it upgraded. And I hate to say it, his cars were the ugliest ones I ever <laughs> saw. Because he was, he was good to the customers. Uh, I'm just sorry I can't remember the name at the moment, but it, it'll come. You, you probably know it. Uh, he li- he had a partner, and he li- he lived quite a long time. He he got all the way to oh, I think got up into the seventies. I think because hmm. in six in um, nineteen sixty uh, no nineteen fifty eight he built a seat from from my fire engine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let me ask you this now. So when you were at the art center to get into the art center, I was always told. Now keep in mind, I grew up in Northern California too. Read all the magazines, all that stuff, and like every other kid growing up in the '60s, building models, I wanted to be a car designer too. So I was well aware of the art center, College of Design, but I was told that you had to be the cream of the crop artist designer to get in there because they wouldn't just take guys that could just pencil a car or something that looked like a car. Was it difficult for you to get in? I mean, did you or did you have an unbelievable natural talent to design cars? And what did they look at <laughs> no. when you when you applied? Okay. All right. In my case, because I was right at the transition between the school is running out of veterans, the uh-huh. veterans bring government money for the tuition. Okay, and they were running dry in the uh, you know for the fall uh, fall semester in uh, 1949. My portfolio, as it was, was not too good because I was kind of self-taught in an architecture class with uh, you know watercolors. But I did pencil drawings that were highly detailed as far as the mechanical design, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the styling. But I remember Carla Martell was the registrar, and she was talking to my grandmother and said, well, we have, a, we have to do something different. This year we're going to start letting in uh, high school students, which is not what uh, the school had ever done. So there was a, a, quite a few students came in in the fall of 49 that were strictly out of high school. And that made a big transition. But I understand over the years, as Art Center got moved to Pasadena, built a great big uh, campus in 1976. By that time, Art Center was so expensive, and it was a lot of rich people would send their kids over there. Uh, and they had to have really good portfolios. The portfolios, you had to be really a good artist out of either high school or some other you know, trade school or something. And I remember the stories of people said, oh, they won't take me. Oh, what am I going to do? And that was in the 70s. I remember that part. Interesting. Um, all right, so we got a few minutes left. And I kind of want to touch on, because you were really, it, I mean, it's like, there's a lot. But anyway, I want to touch <laughs> on... And then we'll go into this, because we're going to do part two for next week. But for right now, what I want to do is I want you to introduce uh, your, your, your foray or your connection with Walt Disney, because you were at the four, you, you, were, you just got through telling us a little while ago you were doing you left Detroit, you started drawing Kaisers, and then magically, Disney walks into your life, or you walk into Disney's life. So tell us about that. Okay, just as I finished the last drawings for uh, Miller and Grazier consultants to Kaiser Willys, I got a call from a local uh, small industrial design company called Channing Wallace Gilson Industrial Design. Uh, they only had like five employees, and they got mad at him, and they and they quit. And now the poor guy was desperate, and he had my phone number. He said, can you come down here, please? And he was trying to get four or five more people, so I was working there uh, as a temp for like for three weeks just, just to help him. And in that three weeks, I got a phone call from the, from, um, the counselor at Art Center saying, uh, go to the Disney studio and meet a Mr. Irvine in about 20 minutes. They didn't tell me what it was. So when I got out to the studio, sure enough, I met a Mr. Irvine. Now, what year and, is this? What year is this? Oh, this is 54, October okay. 54. Okay, so this is before Disneyland even opened. Oh, yes. Well, the only thing I knew was in the Los Angeles Times, a couple of months earlier, there was a gorgeous painting 
of a new amusement park, and I remember it had a balloon up over the top of the thing, and I said, wow, if they build something like that, I'd go to that. <laughs> and at the same time, at the same time, uh, on my paper route during World War II and up through, uh, you know, 49 and 50 and on, uh, one of my customers was a guy by the name of Iwerks, which uh, I found out later, he and Walt Disney started the company in Kansas City. And, uh, you know, then Walt was out here and then up came out here. So uh, at Ub's Sunday dinners, he would show little black and white movies of current events on the back lot of the studio. And I saw this little car, just a chassis, no body on it. And I saw a really ugly, uh, ugly little car with Kurt Russell given. No, I mean, uh, Kurt Douglas giving his little boys a ride in it. So by the time I get to talking to Mr. Irvine, I thought, you don't suppose that amusement park and this little car that Bob took a picture of on the back lot, it needs a body. I can design bodies. That was a good guess because that's what they wanted me to do. Wow. Fascinating. So Yeah, so I so I didn't respond to a resume or anything like that. I just got a phone call. They walked me out in the back, showed me the little car, and I I said, I'll come back on Saturdays with some, some sketches. So uh, so I did, and that started 27 years of working with Disney. Okay, so we have about uh, less than three minutes left. And, uh, Bob, I want to thank you for coming on the show. We're going to do part two because this, was, this kind of segues into um, the uh, – show for next week and we're going to talk a little bit about all the other stuff that you designed and then we'll talk about your the bob gurr show the radio show that you're going to do and uh and then i want to talk about i want you to just tell us lots of little, really cool little stories and some of the outside you know the other projects that you worked on you know after you left disney world because a lot of it was kind of like uh still movie related right oh absolutely yeah, because uh, for next week we can talk a little bit more detail about people can go on the internet to Insta to uh, Instagram or Facebook and look for the uh, the Bob Gurr Show, which is now available on uh, Patreon. And uh, every month we will put new episodes of our interviews that we do in the uh, Bob Gurr Theater, and then I will be doing uh, personal behind-the-scenes uh, iMovies of how people did stuff way back in the early days, and we'll be talking about sports car races also at the, the same time in that series. Super. Real quick, we got about 10, 15 seconds left. You're going to be at Monterey next week, and you're going to be uh, basically doing one of the symposiums, and I guess you're going to be there with uh, our friend uh, Jeffrey Hacker, who's right here out of Tampa, right? Yep. Jeff Hacker and I will be uh, with Ken Gross, and we'll be doing a forum on uh, mid-century custom car design. Mid-century. Oh, that's one of my favorites, particularly the architecture. Well, Bob, we are up against the clock. Checkered flags come down, just for now, just for now. Um, but I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio 1 Cars. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and I look forward to uh, Part 2 next week and meeting you at Monterey next week. How about that? Absolutely. Thank you very good for a good set of questions. That way I can help you. Very well. All right, Bob, take care. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. We'll talk to you, and we'll do part two. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Again, I want to thank my special guest this evening, Bob Gurr. A uh, legendary designer, got some great stories for GM, uh, cool stuff, and, of course, Disneyland and Disney World. So don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. For the, on Tan Talk Radio Network for the most legendary and fascinating names in motor motorsports, automotive, and music. And uh, follow us on our social media and uh, tell your friends. In the meantime, see you at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.